Hello and welcome to episode 178 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with many of the creators involved in the Comic Book School Panel 1 anthology. We have A.A. Rubin, editor of the Flash Fiction section and the writer of Mr. Stupendous and The Duel. We also have Buddy Scalero, the publisher, head of the Comic Book School and the writer of The Lemonade Stand. We have Andrea Sperino, the writer of Twilight of the Gods Prophecy, and we have Zach Heron, writer of Braun the Lucky and Hail Chaos. Um, so uh, how about if we do a couple of quick uh, bios about ourselves and um, uh, let's start off with AA. So uh, what's up guys? My name is AA Rubin. Um, I am the uh, Flash fiction editor for the uh, for the anthology. Um, we know we have comics and flash fiction included in the anthology. I am a writer and editor. I work in a variety of genres, uh, ranging from comics to formal rhyming poetry and virtually everything in between. Okay, and actually, I want to apologize. I missed uh, I, I missed Kristen in the uh, in the uh, the uh, the roll call. We we also have uh, Kristen Stout, who is the writer of the Unfixed Man, and he's also the artist and letterer there. So I so I apologize on that mix That's up. Okay. Um, buddy, you are the the publisher of this book. Uh, how about a uh, quick bio about yourself and maybe a little bit about the comic book school? Yeah, you bet. Thank you for uh, having us on, Matthew. Uh, I am Buddy Scalera. I am the founder of Comic Book School. Um, I'm also a person professional comic book writer and publisher and educator. Uh, most of my writings for Marvel Comics, uh, you probably have seen my work on Deadpool or Weapon X or some of the other Marvel titles. Um, I'm also, also the author of six published books on the topic of creating comic books. Most of them are photo reference, uh, which is how I started the comic book school and uh, comic book school did a challenge this year based on a conversation that I had with uh, Aaron, who might join us in a little while. The idea that every year I teach classes at New York Comic Con and I see a lot of the same faces. And I say, what did you work on since last year? And they'll say, oh, I, I, I was working on something but I didn't complete it. And I thought, you know what? We need a way to help somebody have a way to complete things. And we pulled together a schedule. I'll give you a long story short. But in the end, we had this idea that if we made a platform for people and we all did it together, it would be a community-based challenge. And what resulted was a 144-page anthology. So it turned out great. Very cool. All right, so up next we have uh, Kristen. Kristen, um, how about if you give us a quick uh, bio about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, I am not a professional in the industry. I uh, work in law and technology, but uh, I've been a musician for uh, quite a while. And um, for a long time, I would uh, do my own uh, visual art and uh, do my own vi um, videos for the songs that I produce for my project, The Evolutionaries. And over time became more interested in figuring out how to actually tell stories with visuals. So a few years ago, I started putting that into practice. Um, and one of the things I've always found is that if I have a goal, even if it's like an arbitrary goal, it's a good way to force myself to get over creative humps because it's easy to sort of let the perfect be the enemy good so when this came up I thought it was a good opportunity to take all of the things I've been thinking about and trying to develop and force myself to actually produce something coherent very nice okay so up next we have Andreas Andreas uh, how about a quick bio about yourself yes hi good evening everyone thanks for having us here my name is Andreas 
like you said, I was born in Argentina. I'm currently living in Paris, France. I've been writing for my entire life uh, in many different genres. Mainly I did scripts for short films and, and feature length. And um, roughly five years ago, I started this this trip about writing comics, and um, yeah, it's it's something I feel very passionate about. And um, I had the good luck of running into Buddy's anthology. I've been following Buddy for some time in his newsletter, and and this popped up, and I jumped at the chance of having something published. Yeah, very cool. And uh, wait, 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 hold on, Andreas, what time is it there? It's 3.15 in the morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is some real dedication. That's commitment to your podcast, man. That is yeah. awesome. Indeed it is. <laughs> so uh, we also have uh, Zach here. Zach, uh, how about a uh, quick bio about yourself? Sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, so I've been drawing comics since I was five years old. Uh, they were they were like really, they were picture books and I didn't know how to write. So like my dad would fill in the words while he read my comics back to me. But I've been obsessed with the medium, uh, even though I wasn't allowed to read much. I would like say little religious tracks because they had comics in them. Um, and I've like puttered around, I've read a ton of comics. I've puttered around like making short stories, um, but I've only really been serious about like making comics um, since like 2008, um, I started making this comic called Abducted with uh, Jay and Maya, who did Colors on Brawn. Um, she's amazing. Uh, and then uh, while I'm doing that, when I'm not making comics, because I'm definitely not a professional, uh, my, day my day job is I'm a product designer and uh, sometimes front end uh, web developer. So very cool. So, um, I, you know, a lot of the, the folks that when they gave their bio, um, you know, there was a lot of connection to 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 Buddy bringing this this project uh, together. So, Buddy, how about the 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 the, the pitch for uh, the the panel one um, anthology that you do? So, the pitch for it is um, a group of people now have gotten together to collaborate, almost like a uh, Inktober, to work together and follow each of the steps along the way. Um, Aaron created the original schedule. I had it validated through Mike Martz, who was my former editor at Marvel, now the editor of Aftershock Comics. Uh, we worked in collaboration with Darren Sanchez, my editor at Marvel currently. Um, and then what we did was by step-by-step step in our message boards, we created a community where everybody submitted their big idea, received feedback on the message boards. Then they did the draft, they received feedback, and all along the way, I would put a published story that I had worked on for Marvel, an Avengers Assemble story for the All Ages line. And I showed how I put my story pitch, my outline, my script. Once we were done with that writing portion, we were able to get uh, Ron Lim to join us for a live chat. And he showed us how he penciled and outlined the story that I wrote. And then we went into the inks and then the inker showed us the inks. And then we went into colors, letters, and final production. All along the way, um, we actually saw with the story that I worked on professionally, how, you know, how I did it and worked with all these other pros. And what we were able to do was also get a lot of these pros on the line. We also had some exclusive speakers. Uh, for example, we had Kathy Kirch, who teaches writing, I think, at Columbia University. Uh, we had a social media marketing professional get on and talk about self-promotion. And then all along the way, 
our commitment was if you guys contribute your stories, eventually this will be a published piece of work. And then the final thing I'll say is we all agreed that in this day and age, we were really just excited about showcasing the work of these emerging creators. So we decided to make it a free download. Mm -hmm. uh, so now it is free to everybody, all 144 pages. Every creator owns their own intellectual property and copyrights. Uh, so we saw to make sure that everybody uh, uh, signed off to ensure that uh, they owned all their own stuff. So we're very excited about the fact that we have helped launch the careers and create the first published work of so many talented creators. Very cool. So before we go into some of the, the, the individual stories for, for the group here, was there one section that, uh, you know, Buddy described sort of, there was like a pitch, there was an outline, there was a script, the penciling and inking stage. What was the one that was maybe the, the, uh, the one that gave you the most challenge or the one that was uh, the most surprising to you during, during those phases? And I know some of you guys only worked uh, as part of a team and then we have some people here that worked in, in multiple phases. So if you wanna just take it, um, anybody who wants to chime in, just the, the most surprising and the most challenging section of the, the process. Uh, I'll start. So uh, Buddy's likening it to the Inktober is apt, but also completely under describes how much work it is. It turns out to make eight pages of a comic book. Uh, I had only ever done like little things here and there. So having to go through the whole process. At first, when I looked at Buddy's schedule, I was like, oh, pfft. it's going to take that long to make eight pages. That doesn't sound right. It took that long to make eight pages. Um, for me, the hardest part was figuring out how to think about everything in a whole and the script writing phase is something that I had never really done. So I've written short stories just for fun. I uh, never really published anything. And I write a lot for my work. Um, but the idea of, but going from the phase of saying like, oh, I got an idea. And then figuring out how you turn that into something that someone even understands when you describe it to them. I That's personally. Very cool. Uh, so anybody else uh, have anything they want to add? Yeah, I, I think that the hardest part is, or it's, it's most, it's the most challenging part, but it's also the most rewarding one, which is working as a team, right? So, because I mean, you can always be sure to hit your own deadlines, but then you hand over the project to someone else, be it the, the penciler or the inker or the colorer, and and they've got their own lives, their own challenges, and, and, and staying on top of everything and making sure that every step of the way is, is properly ticked off has been challenging. I'd um, like to add that um, in addition to just going through the steps, which um, we all signed up for to begin with, I think that the most surprising part for me is how much myself and a bunch of the other creators I talked to ended up really needing this last year um, because um, I've done some comics before and every artist, not about half, I'd say about the half of the artists who I've met, who I've worked with, I met at Buddy's Creator Connection panel at New York Comic Con or related events um, after the con that grew out of that. Um, that didn't happen. This year. I mean, we were all locked in. All the cons were canceled. There was there was nothing like that. Um, in addition, um, was having a uh, a creative community. I mean, in addition from the con perspective, all of the um, pros that Buddy talked about who brought in doing those panels. Um, yeah, because 
if you did the Megaverse or San Diego Comic-Con online, there were some good panels, but you know how many educational panels there were in uh, Metaverse for people who wanted to uh, learn how to make comics or um, develop themselves as a professional? Big fat zero. There was, there was absolutely nothing. So without those cons where, where we would normally go to do these kinds of things, both to network and to learn, um, which Buddy was such a big part of for me and for so many other people, we ended up really needing what, um, what we were doing online more so than we even realized at the start of the challenge. And then being in lockdown and being in different parts of the country with a lockdown and in different countries, I mean, we have international, we have um, international creators here, um, one of whom's on the call. Um, people were in various states of lockdown for the last year and quarantine and all that kind of thing. Just having a creative community um, that we can work with and being able to expand. So when I post my, normally, when I write a comic, I would write a script and I might hire an artist and give it to the artist and then they're working for me because I'm paying them or whatever. This is completely different because we had a creative community online. It's, it's um, you know, somebody might be willing to say something that they wouldn't if you were in a work for hire relationship. Um, you know, you might get the perspective of other more experienced um, people who aren't necessarily on your team. You get that kind of um, creative uh, creative community where everyone is working together to make everyone's work better. That's different than I think what most people experience, even people who, even the people who were more experienced to participate in the challenge. And we had a range of people from people who had never published before to people who were already pretty well known in the, uh, in the indie comics uh, community. And I think for all of us, I think that aspect of it was different than the way we usually work. And that was surprising and that was awesome and it was helpful. And it was also even more important given what's been going on over the past year or so. Nice. So as, as a member of this community um, and you, as you guys were going through, um, you know, each various step of production um, was, was, everybody in the team able to see like what you were working on and was there like a, like a, the ability to um, sort of provide notes and, and, and critique. And like a lot of times when you're in a group um, of people uh, you know, it's, it's really great to sort of take that critique and make sure that you, you frame it uh, in a positive way. So how did you guys handle sort of the review and, and, you know, say, Hey, you know, uh, I really like what you're doing here, but this this aspect of it doesn't really doesn't really work for me, or I don't completely understand it. So, how did you guys handle all of that stuff? We had a message board, um, old fashioned uh, online message board connected to Buddy's site, mm -hmm. and um, it was completely voluntary. But um, but also, most people did it. Is when those deadlines approached, it was a forum that uh, we set up. We give a, uh, a shout out here to, uh, to Kevin, who was our uh, tech guy who kept the forums up and running um, throughout all of this. But for example, when it was the scripts were due, there was a script form and then there was a penciling form and then there was an inking form and people posted their work. Anyone on the, in the community could then provide feedback and you can, you know, 
respond to them and other people can jump in, um, which is really great to have that many people have access to it because um, one thing that I've learned um, in my day job, I'm a public school teacher, I teach high school English. And um, one thing I tell people when they're writing, when they're doing the college essay is you get feedback from one person you might say, okay, they may be right, they may be wrong. You, know, you don't know, it's just one person's opinion. If you give it to 10 people and eight people tell you the same thing, then they're probably right. You know, So having that range of feedback on there is helpful. We also did have a separate uh, thing for um, feedback protocols um, that different people contributed to before we started the process to say you know, how we should um, you know, provide feedback and people posted um, different ways they had done that in the past. But overall, the community was very supportive. Um, and while there was, there was a lot of criticism and there was a lot of growth, there was also a lot of positive energy. And I think that um, really everyone was better for it. Yeah, I'll, I'll say as someone who is brand new to the whole creation process, I found everybody was very helpful and positive and very like helped me really understand the parts where I just took things for granted that other people couldn't see and having multiple voices say that even when it points to the fact that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing well it's very helpful yeah I found for myself that like uh you know for a lot of the projects that I've worked on uh it's something that like it's been in my head for so long that I I know it and I, but I might not always like either having it shown or explaining it the right way because I've lived with it in my head for so long, but to have somebody else come in and go, all right, this is working, but this isn't working. I'm able to say, okay, I can see what that person is saying because, you know, I, I thought this is what I was doing, but clearly I wasn't. And now with that feedback, I can see, see that. So that helps as well sometimes. All right. That, that perfectly describes exactly what I'm talking about. Cool. All right. So you know, it, is, it is one of the things I think is interesting. And Matthew, we we um, we always have to acknowledge like where there was this was where there was a finely tuned plan. And when we just sort of went on faith and a lot of this was going on faith. And, you know, when Aaron and I started this, you know, Aaron is very organized. She's a professional animator. She needs to have structure and know what she's going to animate because there's a lot of energy goes into animation. Whereas I, um, I don't know, I just start, I just do things. I don't have often a great plan. And the community was very flexible in saying like, quite literally, I go, I'm, I don't know the answer. Like we put a frequently asked questions up there and somebody would post a question. I'd be like, wow, that's a good question. Oh, I got to answer that. Okay. <laughs> I didn't like, I, it was me and everybody was looking at me and I, I was, I was really um, delighted with the fact that the community was so agile and flexible and positive. Um, and we, we just kind of made it up as we went. Like this was truly a community spirited uh, adventure. And we, we actually did, we mentioned Kevin, we looked at no less than I think six platforms, everything from Discord to Facebook to other uh, base camp, and what we settled on was a custom, a bespoke message board, which we put onto the comicbookschool.com website. Now, the reason for this was because I had had experience with Facebook where they changed the rules. They were like, okay, you set up a forum. Great. You spend all this money. Have, and they're like, oh, we're changing the rules. 
and I had built a community and then they wanted me to build another community from scratch. And of course, you know, taking the politics out of it, you can see what's happening on social media. So we decided to have something that we can own and control uh, where people could be themselves. And I think we didn't know if it would be the right thing, but in the end, it turned out to be the right thing for us. And we, we do, we do look at what we've created and say like, okay, we did the first one and a little bit of jump in advance, you know, we're getting ready to do our next one. And now that first class, that first cohort of creators will now be the shepherd to the next cohort. So everybody you see here will be helping lead the next generation of creators. And uh, I, I would say, going back to your original question, what's the hardest thing? I think most people can picture an epic in their mind. They're like, I can do the Star Wars nineology, but they can't do eight pages. Eight pages is really hard to do, but it is a very common number in publishing. Like I, I did a lot of eight page stories and anthologies before I was able to step my way up. So I knew that that was a, the right way to go. And when people went, ah, a year to do eight pages, do that in my sleep. How did that work out, guys? Was it was it the easiest thing you've ever done? Like you just couldn't believe this is right, Andreas, right, Zach, Christian? Easiest thing in the world, eight pages, right? I, I watched the entire Next Generation Star Trek Next Generation TV series while doing my art uh, <laughs> for just eight pages. Tell them, Zach. It's like it's a marathon, right? It's not. A it sprint. is. It is. No, my fingers are falling off. I've, I've got these. I got nubs now. <laughs> I can't do the next one. Is <laughs> how it works. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's exhausting. It's great. I, I uh, the stuff I'd done previously, I was writing, not drawing. I like always. I'd done a lot of drawing and I'd done a lot of writing, uh, but to combine that, I being responsible for almost everything is exhausting. So uh, I, outside of color, thank God, Maya was there for the colors because I would not have made it, frankly. And to yeah, you guys, also, I think it's 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 the most rewarding too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Exhausting for sure. Yeah, but. But look, look back at, the, at what you've created, right? In in, in time, you only remember the, the, the finished product. You don't, you won't remember the long nights. So I, I hope so. <laughs> when I told my wife I was going to do another one, I got a I got a look. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Matthew, this is and, and and by the way, thank you for showcasing new creators. These new voices, right? These the new voices that you see here. They're let's be honest. You know, they they don't have name recognition yet. And what you're doing is shining a spotlight on the, what we consider the next generation, the next wave of creators. But for a lot of these creators, this is this first opportunity to do a media tour, which thank you Ari for helping to organize these things. It's an experience all around that helps them to understand what this experience is of not just creating because you, you can create, but you also have to get your work into the hands of the people who would be interested in it, right? This week, we actually planned a coordinated Twitter campaign. This week, you'll see all of us tweeting each other's best panels. So for example, you know, you'll say, Andreas, my favorite panel of Christian's work is this. This is Christian's landing page. He has a specific landing page on the Comic Book School website. Check this out. So they're not self-promoting, they're cross-promoting. But what this is doing is showing them how to increase awareness to help that audience find their work. So it is more than just a holistic experience of creating the book. It is that complete encompassing experience of promoting work because at the end of the day, when you do make real comics, 
it's commercial art. By the way, we had a publisher uh, retweet our stuff. So now all of the creators are being uh, exposed to uh, first publishing, retweeted our stuff and put it on their Facebook page because one of our members uh, is associated with first publishing. So it's already gaining a little bit of momentum. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah. I, I've, you know, I've had a number of, of indie creators on here and if you are not sort of, you know, part of the machine, you know, the, the big two where you're, you're, you know, you're a big name and you just sort of either turning out art or turning out uh, scripts. It's sort of a, uh, you got to wear two hats, you know, it's the, it's the creative hat and it's the promotion and sort of business hat that, that you have to, to do. And sometimes you sort of, you know, you might have to structure your day in that like, you know, X amount of hours I'm answering emails or, or sending out emails. And then, you know, Y amount of hours after that is where I'm going to sit down and sort of churn out story or, 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 you know, fix plot holes or stuff like that. So it's, it's, you know, as you described, it's, it's, it's a little bit of both. It's making something, getting people to see it. And, and the way that you guys are doing it in that you're, you know, you're sort of paying it forward and you're promoting somebody else and sort of that network and that's that snowball is sort of is, is building there. Cool. So um, let's let's dive into to a couple of the stories. Um, let's start off with AA. You have a you have a couple of things in here. You have the uh, you have the uh, the flash fiction and then uh, and then you have some sequential work. So do you want to talk about uh, what you have in this book? Um, sure, yeah. I have two stories in this book. One of them is a comic um, that I did with Ariel Lupkin called Mr. Stupendous, which uh, follows the uh, everyday life, a day in the life of the most powerful man in the world, um, looking at things like if you're up all night fighting crime and then you got to go to the work next day, you're probably pretty tired. You might fall asleep at desk and not finish your work on time. Your wife might get suspicious that you're um, out all night and you're not necessarily revealing your secret identity. And then even more pr problems that you get in the modern world that we all know that uh, Superman changes in phone booths, not as many phone booths as they used to be. And the ones that they are don't go all the way to the ground where you're going to change. You know, you got to find uh, new places. I always say that he's the most powerful man in the world, but in the end, his problems are all too human. Um, so it's kind of a spoof of the superhero genre. Um, a little bit of a satire, um, but, um, you know, but with uh, references to a number of classic uh, superhero tropes as well. And um, I think Ariel did a great job with the art. Um, I think we ended up working really well together. Um, she's someone who I met um, actually at the last Creator Connection panel of, um, at New York Comic Con and uh, and we ended up, I had never worked with her before, but it ended up being a really good, um, a really good pairing. And uh, we're talking about how to expand the character in the future, maybe a little bit as well. Um, Very nice. And then um, the duel, um, the flash fiction piece. Um, so you know that in addition to comics, we also have flash fiction in this anthology. Um, and this was something that we developed about halfway through the challenge. Um, I was taking a class, um, a writing class during the quarantine uh, focused on the work of Ray Bradbury, the, uh, the famous science fiction writer. And um, he, um, I was looking at a lot of his work that we were reading in the class, especially a lot of his early work, 
was prose. It was, you know, he was a prose writer. There are a lot of great Wally Wood adapt comics adaptations of some of his stories, but the stuff Bradbury wrote himself was by and large, um, you know, prose that he's most famous for. Uh, but a lot of his work was accompanied by a single full page uh, drawing. Um, there was, um, and then I started thinking about it and noticed more and more of the literary magazines that I've been publishing my short stories in were publishing art along with the, um, you know, a lot of them publish stories and art, but more and more of them are connecting the stories and the art, hiring illustrators to have a piece of art accompanying each story. And I went to Buddy and I said, hey, what do you think about uh, putting flash fiction in this anthology as well? Um, and he, he agreed that it would be a good idea. It also gave a chance for some of the creators who came on late, who maybe didn't, um, maybe joined the uh, community a few months in and weren't gonna have time to do the full um, eight page challenge to get a flash fiction piece in. So we said one page of text, which is about 500 words, uh, one full page um, illustration to accompany the text, and um, we actually have three stories in there, um, including uh, including mine, which is the duel. Uh, the duel is a mashup of uh, high fantasy and spaghetti western, um, two very different genres. It has a twist ending um, that I've been told people don't see it coming, so I, I hope that's I hope that's the case. And um, it was illustrated by Mike Ponce, um, who also had two pieces in here. He was also the illustrator on uh, Teddy's, which is another story in the book. Um, and he did a spectacular job with it because it was a very difficult story to illustrate. You had the two vastly different genres. Um, you had a lot of landscape involved in it. Um, and at the, you had to give an idea of the story. And at the same time, you couldn't spoil the twist ending. Mm -hmm. So uh, there were a lot of challenges for him going in. And I think that the page that he drew is spectacular. Um, I really, I really, um, really am thrilled with it. Um, so yeah, those, those are my two, uh, two pieces in there, two very different things. But I, as I said in the beginning, I tend to write in a lot of different genres and styles different types of stories. Very cool. Uh, so as somebody who did a prose piece and a uh, had to do a script for sequential art, uh, do you do you have a little bit of things that you're able to get away with in, you know, writing a script for a comic as you, I know that your prose piece, you you were looking for, for a page and 500 words, so you can sort of pontificate a little bit more maybe than you could in, in a comic book script. So, so what are some of the differences there? So, so when I decide to write a, a story, I think about, um, should it be a comic or should it be a prose piece? Should it be a poem? Um, these types of things, um, you know, I consider the way I want to tell the story. I mean, in the prose, in the prose piece, it's, it's very moody. It's in present tense. There's a lot of description. I'm relying on a lot of um, tricks of language and literary techniques and things like that. Um, I'm trying to build suspense by drawing you in um, with, with things that wouldn't, um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want that many words on a page in a panel description in comics. Comics are very, very brief. Um, in the comics though, it gives you other storytelling techniques. There's one page and it's my favorite page that Ariel drew in my story. That's Mr. Stupendous's workday. And it's a repeated panel, a nine panel page. That's a repeated panel throughout the day where it's the exact same panel and the clock 
advances from when he gets there at uh, nine in the morning to when he leaves at five. And what he's doing changes, but it's really, um, it shows the passage of time over while he's in the office during the day. And it's something that you can only do in comics. Mm -hmm. You couldn't do that in a pro story and it wouldn't even work the same way if you did it on film, if you were doing a movie or something like that. Um, So it gives you, it's really which, um, which tools, which storytelling tools you want to use, and then which medium is uh, therefore more appropriate to the, uh, to the story you want to tell. So I've had the Mr. Stupendous idea in my head for a long time. Um, and it was something that I thought about doing as a, as a prose piece with like different diary entries. It wouldn't have worked the same way. It was a story that for a variety of reasons had to be a comic. Um, the Duel... I could have written a duel between two wizards that took place in a uh, old Western town as a comic, but there would be, it wouldn't be the same story then. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work the same way for that one. Um, and, and the length of it was perfect for a, uh, for a one, for a one twist story like that. Um, it's um, you have different types of story. People, I think one of the things that I like to address as a writer is that there are other structures aside from the three act structure that everyone tells you in all the writing classes that you have to have beginning, middle, end, that type of thing. There are other things you can do, um, different ways to structure a story. And in short stories, the one twist shorts, the one twist um, story is something that works really well in flash fiction. Um, works really well in short fiction. You wouldn't be able to sustain that for a novel necessarily. You need subplots and things like that, but to focus in and lead you to that one twist, um, that's something that works really well in flash fiction. Um, The Mr. Stupendous is more episodic. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more rather than a, there is an arc throughout the story, but the way it works is more episodic, which also fits in with the whole superhero genre. If you think of something like the Sunday Funniest page or something like that, where there's a new strip every week, um, you know, so that's another reason that one was more um, more to the comic side. Um, but I think about things like that. I think about the structure. I think about the different techniques. I think about, um, even the subject matter, um, you know, um, makes one story more appropriate for comics and one more for uh, for prose. If that makes sense. No, it does, and I like the 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 way you describe that uh, the nine panel grid with the progression of time, sort of rhythmically. You know, that's that you you are exactly right. That's something that's only you know handled best in sort of in in the comics medium. And, that, and that's something that I've had to learn as I was writing comics. Um, when I first started writing comics, I was not necessarily good at utilizing the medium and using the techniques of the medium. And that's something that as I've written more comics, it's something that um, I've tried to improve in my writing. Um, so when I, now I really think about like, does this have to be a comic story? Should this be a comic story? Um, you know, you can tell other stories in, in other ways, but um, I felt like in Mr. Stupendous there, there was another series of repeated panels um, 
where he's flying and then starts raining. It wasn't as, as extensive, but we used that technique twice. There was a page where there was a parallel narrative where there was kind of this voiceover effect um, when he's looking for a place to change. Um, to be more conscious of the choices, the storytelling choices you're making related to the genre that you're writing in um, is someplace that I think that I've grown as a writer. And I think that in large part, it's, it's because it's because of being involved in this community. And it's also because of going to buddies panels for years um, and learning about it. Um, and then reading intentionally also when, when I read comics to pay attention to um, how the stories are told there, um, you know, um, where you go to these panels and you come home from Comic-Con with, with comic books, hopefully. And then when you read them, you have what you learned in mind at the panels and you try to learn from, you say, oh, you know what? That's really cool. I want to use that in the story eventually. And then you just build up your toolbox and try to figure out how you can make each one, you know, use more of that each time than, uh, than the last time. Um, and, you know, Again, that's what it's trying to do with uh, Mr. Stupendous. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to, to see the, uh, the differences between, there are, there are many differences between the two in tone and in, in uh, style in, uh, in genre and all those things, but there's also differences in storytelling uh, and differences in what kind of storytelling you can do in, uh, in each medium. Very nice. Uh, so I want to, uh, switch over to, to Buddy. Buddy, you wrote the, the lemonade stand and you did something uh, unique in this story. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a silent story, right? Yeah, it was funny. We, um, um, Andy Siebert and I, we, we've been working on a comic book, which we'll, we'll complete sometime in 2050, um, which we're, we're looking forward to. The climax will be amazing. Um, but we've been working on midlife crisis for a long time. It's about a superhero named Crisis, who is about my age and going through his own midlife crisis. So it's about aging superheroes and what it, what it means to mature uh, out of something that's very youth-oriented. Um, but we have this rich cast of side characters, and sometimes I write a little side story. Um, so at one point, I'd written a side story, and Andy had expressed an interest. He's like, you know, I kind of would like to do something myself from beginning to end do we have anything and I was like yeah we have you know we've got this character Hibigan and I've got this idea for a side story so I, I, I wrote out the beats right like when you do a comic book story of pages and our creators will, will be familiar with this with an outline you just write a beat sheet you know like page one page two page three you write it out and as we were doing it we were like could you do this with no words and he was like I would loves to do it with no words because he has to do the lettering so he's able to skip a step um and then he said he's going to challenge himself by only using two colors in the palette but it would be tones uh, he didn't want it to be full black and white so for andy it was all about uh this reductive this exercise in reductivism where he would say like how can i still tell an effective story that will have a beginning middle and end be clear but maximize the medium um, and I think what he pulled off was pretty creative. He was, he, he realized now like how much the words contribute and how you have to really show something in the combination, the juxtaposition of words and pictures 
on the page make it a lot easier. That is, uh, he had a lot more challenge in telling a visual story and telling a clear narrative. As uh, AA was noting, you know, when you have to tell these stories and you think, well, this is a good idea, and you had noted it in prose where you can actually write some internal monologue to explain motivation, you have to tell a picture with stories. It's a whole different uh, challenge. So Andy challenged himself. He, I basically came up with a very simple story, uh, but Andy really went in there, did it without words, and did it by controlling the color palette as well. Um, and for him, it was an exercise. It was like, I want to try to push myself. And I think that's what we did even with the flash fiction. Uh, AA uh, does note that, um, you know, I agreed to the flash fiction after he explained what flash fiction was to me, which I didn't know, you know, these young creators, they have these things and I didn't know what flash fiction was, but once he explained it to me and showed it to me, I went, yeah, that's cool. We should add that to the anthology. Congratulations to you there. You're the uh, section editor of the <laughs> fiction, flash fiction. He was like, oh, oh, oh. So yeah, people are careful now when they raise their hand and bring a good idea to me because it usually makes more work for them. But yeah, that was the, uh, the, the, the roundabout way of explaining Hibagon, the lemonade stand, which ties in. I have uh, um, on the website on Comic Book School, you'll see a link to uh, Midlife Crisis, the comic, which is available on Comixology. So the idea for me was to you know, grow the universe of intellectual property that I already have in place and uh, you know, just add a continuation to it as a bonus for people who enjoy midlife crisis. Very nice. So probably the the most famous wordless comic is uh, GI Joe Twenty One, the the silent interlude. So uh, did you guys did you guys sort of look at anything they did there to sort of help you tell a uh, tell a wordless comic? I I'm glad you brought that up. I absolutely love that story. Uh, John Byrne did a wordless uh, Batman. Uh, John Byrne also did a wordless Aliens. I happen to always be a big fan of wordless stories. Uh, Heavy Metal uh, was was famous for having these short wordless stories that would translate across any culture. So yeah, I have always been mindful, Matthew, of those types of stories. Mm -hmm. uh, the limitations, but then also the freedom and the challenge of it. So yeah, you're right. The most famous is that, but then Marvel ended up a couple years later doing, uh, I think in the late nineties, uh, the entire month was called Nuff Said when they just had a whole line of books where there were no words. So I, I always, I've ad always adored stories like that. Barry Windsor Smith did one of my favorites in Marvel fanfare uh, with uh, Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm. They're just, they're great. And you can hand it to anybody and they go, this is great. So, yeah. Very cool. Do the, uh, when they do a whole month of uh, wordless comics, do, do the letterers get paid at, at Marvel that month or, or do. do they get credited? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Marvel didn't actually save any money that month. They, they know that people live off their freelance checks, but the letters still had some work that they had to do compositing and things like that. Very cool. Awesome. So uh, let's go to, to uh, Kristen. Kristen, you were the writer, artist, and letterer of uh, the, the Unfixed Man. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so uh, I, kind of to what you were mentioning before, I had um, started with a gigantic set of uh, epic 
ideas that I had for a background world. And I sort of knew all of these characters I've been thinking about for years. Uh, the last album I put out was like not a concept album, but it was loosely a bunch of albums. So I had developed as I was working on the art for that and writing the songs for that, I would write down like character ideas. And then so for a few years, I'd been thinking about how they all interacted and what the world was going on there. So when I came to um, thinking about how to fit this into an eight page story, I quickly found out that you you cannot fit uh, a universe into eight pages and getting through that process um, helped me. So um, uh, getting through the process with the comic book school people helped me. One of the resources I found was Kathy Kirch was a, uh, a she's a, a writing coach. She's a teacher at Columbia and she was giving us some advice. And then I actually started hiring her to look at scripts with me and do iterations of scripts and like, you know, kind of like, hey, here's everything in my head. What do, I, what do I do with this now? And she helped me pick through that. And one of the most important things that came out of that, that um, experience was uh, asking the question, why do I care? Someone who's reading it, why do I care about the story I'm reading? And it sounds very simple. And in retrospect, it is very simple. But when you're looking at this mountain of ideas and like all these cool things, like if I, if we sat down and had beer and I told you about all the ideas, you'd be like, oh, wow, that's really cool. But like when it comes to putting that into a story someone wants to read, I was like completely at sea. So I'll tell you the background idea now that I've told you where, where I went with it. Um, the basic world is uh, one where the, the universe is constantly expanding and contracting. So like the Big Bang keeps happening and, and, and resetting itself. But the thing is that people who live in normal reality, they don't, they're not aware of it because they exist in time. The thing that's happening happens outside of time. So what happens, the, that's the basic background. There are civilizations that figure this out through their science. And then they start to develop these like sort of uh, um, like, so almost like warp bubbles that protect them so that they don't reset every time the universe resets. But in order to sustain their civilization, they have to prey on the people stuck inside of time and space. So they re-enter time and space and they essentially take like the life force out of people and they store it. And then that helps them survive resets. And by existing outside of time and space, they ex essentially are immortal. One person evolves a natural ability to sort of continue through these resets and starts to realize these people are there and he becomes obsessed with this civilization partially because um, he can't figure out what he wants to do. He sees them as the bad guys, but he doesn't know that they're the bad guys. He doesn't know that you can even fix this problem or that they should fix the problem. So he sort of becomes obsessed with being almost like a Robin Hood where he'll go and just keep like, um, like blowing their equipment up and they don't really know who he is because he is like an anomaly in this, in this universe. So the, this, that's a kind of a big concept and the all there's all of these different little sub stories where this guy every time he goes through this universal reset he forgets part of who he is like he'll be married in one version of reality and then in the next version of reality his wife will be gone or will be his daughter or you know all different things constantly rearranged so he's constantly at, at a loss and, and he's sort of an outsider from both the people who are persistent and the people who are subject to this like constant resetting so taking that and trying to figure out like how to tell an eight page story, I found fairly challenging. Uh, and what I tried to settle on was telling one small vignette, like he's at the cusp of one reset and he's going through that experience and he is kind of trying to hold on to like, maybe this time I can do something. Um, but in the end, he doesn't actually succeed. And, you know, it's, it's sort of, uh, I'm not really giving anything away. The whole point of the piece is to almost be sort of an emotional reflection on the, the the spirit of persisting in the face of hopelessness and like how this person goes through that um so the art style i wanted to have be very basic in a sense uh so i really like eduardo riso and and frank miller they're not basic they're obviously masters but that sort of blocky heavy shadows mm -hmm. um 
you know, not trying to be over ornate with the art and um, try to let the story almost have an emotional tempo through it. I don't know if I did it, but that was the effort that I took uh, in doing this. Wow, that, that sounds really awesome. Um, so I have a question for you as somebody who worked uh, here as the, as the writer and the artist and later, and, 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 and later the letterer, um, were you given any latitude in your, in your script writing? Because, you know, this is your story. So maybe you don't have to be as descriptive in your, in your panel layouts, because you're going to, you're going to be the one that draws it as opposed to somebody who's working as, as, as a writer only, they might need to give more panel description or more sort of, you know, uh, this is the mood, this is the tone, but you, you're handling both of those. So were you right. able to do that or did they hold you to the same sort of uh, structure that somebody else who was writing only would do? It's an interesting question. I, I tried to get away with only writing some simple beats out and being like, I could fill it in later, but I found that uh, maybe as I get more experience at this, I'll be able to do that. The problem I had was I, I'm so into backstory that um, I could get lost in only writing backstory scenes and I would never get the, the linear theme of the, the story down. So, so what I needed to do for this process was force myself to go through a complete writing experiment, write the whole script out and have the script critiqued at, from someone who was reading it from their perspective. So I'd have Kathy read my scripts and read it back to me and tell me where she got lost and so forth. If I didn't do that process, I would not have been able to tell a story at all. And I don't think. Awesome. Okay, so let's uh, let's let's turn to Andreas. Andreas, you are the writer and the letterer of uh, Twilight of the God Prophecy. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, shout out to the penciler and inker Gaston Henser, which is a fellow countryman of mine, and um, the colors were provided by Maya Opachik, which I've shared with Zach. That's one of the also all of the, the good sides of, of this project in which we were sharing a, a community and we were able to exchange letters and colorists about that. So, which also very, very cool. So this, my, my story, uh, it started with Gaston, which I've collaborated with before. And he's, he's very much into fantasy. And he said, I really want to do a story about orcs and elves and, and, and dwarves. And I, I'm a bit of an illiterate when it came to that. So I, I did some research and I, I tried to give him a, a respectful story of something that he finds very dear to himself. So, so I, I came up with this story about a, a brief interlude in, in, a, in a war between dwarves and elves and orcs. And, 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 and basically it's, it's a moment of truce in which the orcs uh, find that they need the other side's help in order to conquer a, a monster, a, a very mythical, legendary monster that is preying on his hometown. And uh, so they need to go through a truce and ask for the other side's help. And they all come together pretty much like we all did to to put together this, this magic weapon to get rid of this monster. And all of a sudden, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's actually a, a, very, a twist ending that I do not want to reveal, but mm -hmm. basically there's a joke in the end in which 
uh, I added some commentary to it to, to show how I really feel about orcs and elves and everything. <laughs> so it's kind of a, I, I was true to Gaston and I was true to myself in this story. And, and, and all along the story, there's the toilet in the title, the, sorry, the um, prophecy in the title. Uh, it's about this prophecy about this seven-headed uh, dragon born in hell that, that, that goes pumping up this image of this mythological monster all throughout the story and finally in the twist in the ending you get to see what that monster really is very nice uh so i have a question for somebody who takes on this project and works as the the writer and the letterer when you were writing your script as the writer before anything is committed to the page art wise and then you come in to, to, to letter, did you say, now that I can see this thing, I want to change this line of dialogue, or I don't need this person to say this, or they should say this Absolutely. differently. So you, you, you did sort of uh, make changes at that phase. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that's happened to me before too, right? I, I always think that the, that the lettering passed, the last time that you actually go to commit letters to, to the story, it's like a final rewrite, right? So yeah, so that's 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 actually very interesting. Every time uh, I, I'm not an artist myself, so every time I send out a script and a month later I get a page, it's it's a wonderful moment. It's a moment in which you see this thing that you've imagined in one way interpreted by an artist, and that's absolutely fantastic because it's sometimes it's exactly the way you wanted it. Sometimes it has nothing to do with it, but it's always a fabulous surprise. And uh, so, yeah, so when, when you finally get pages from an artist, you, what you need to do is you need to reset the story, right? And, and, and ask, okay, this line of dialogue, what, what function did it serve, right? And, and does it, is it still needed? Is the art still the way you pictured it? And do you still need this line of dialogue? Or, or would it be better to have it some, that they themselves have to say something different? So yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's very interesting how lettering changes, how, how actually the, putting the letters to the page change once you've got the art to it, yeah. Very cool. And a couple of times on uh, like interviews and talking to folks who have made comics, we've also sort of commented in that, uh, letterers are sort of the unsung heroes of comics and you they're sort of like a referee in a sports game like you don't notice them unless they've messed up or, or they've done something wrong so it's a it's a it's a it's a skill that not a lot of people think about and it's only it, like i said it's only you you might only notice it when it when it's not done perfectly or done a little way that sort of takes you out of the story for for a moment yeah and i think that i think when you think about when you write a story and, and it's true. We, we, we hear this, the voices in our head and we see the story playing out, but you know, the best artists are solving problems, right? They're like, how do I solve this problem, right? Like Christian is, you know, solving his own problem. But when you send a script to an artist and that artist is trying to solve that problem, they're doing the best they can. Now as a writer, you know, for Marvel and DC, you'll, you will usually get your page back and go, all right, now here's where I place the, the balloons. And sometimes the, what, what you have to write will be more exposition because you're like, oh gosh, the, he didn't get what I was looking for. Or you, it's reductive. Like you can go like, you know what? I don't even need a word balloon. That expression says it all. 
And that's where the collaborative process that we did was very close to what you would do if you were working for Marvel or DC. So I think what, what we replicated was the real process. This isn't some sort of like bubble. Mm-hmm. This is really what would go on. And, this, and we did plan very long deadlines and we did experience the pandemic and the riots and a lot of different things happening this year, the election. Um, so we built in extra time. But at the end of the day, these uh, creators were all professionals. They, they put their heads down and they knew no matter what happens, you still have to deliver, right? You know, uh, you're moving, your grandma passed away, you know, whatever it is, you, you're still on a deadline, you're still committed to something, you still have to deliver. And, and it's testament to the commitment of these people who are professionals because of what they did. They are professionals. They conducted themselves as professionals. I'm getting off, a little bit off on a tangent, but I think it is worth noting that this experience is, um, you know, was a proving ground for people who wanted to be pros and they had to prove themselves. If they didn't turn it in, they weren't pros. Yeah. And a lot of times if you're sort of uh, a member of that production line, like depending on where you uh, where you are, you know, as a writer, you're earlier in the phase, but like, uh, you know, if the, you know, sort of the art phase takes too long, you might sort of pinch the time that the letterer has to, to meet the deadline. So to be accountable to, to other members of, of a team is also sort of a, a motivation to, to, to hit your targets. And, and letters are your last line of deadline makeup speed. Uh, having uh, worked in a lettering crew uh, with uh, in the early 20s, 2000s, um, I can tell you that there were, you know, there were times where you could, you know, you got to pay good, and then there were just overnight jobs because mm-hmm. somebody blew a deadline and another deadline, it was a domino effect and you had to make up your, make up that time. So lettering is an underappreciated uh, contributor to the, to the entire process, but uh, you're right, Matthew, you don't know if it's done right, you don't notice it. Very cool. All right. So we also have Zach here. And Zach, you are the writest, writer artist of Braun the Lucky and Hail Chaos. So why don't you tell us a little bit about this story here? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I basically like I Braun really started his desire to do something completely different from what I the comics I've been working on. Uh, the stuff I was doing previous to this, it was super serious. It was very, very decompressed. Like we're talking like five pages of like a quiet conversation in a kitchen. It's like, oh, did you say something? No. And like, you look away and there's like a panel, very boring. Um, And so I had been reading a bunch of uh, Silver Age comics um, and I was kind of blown away with uh, how much uh, Stan and Jack were able to fit into a single issue, right? Like there were like 18 pages, 20 pages at the time. And I think one of the reasons why the MCU is so much of like Jet, Stan and Jack and, and uh, other creators, kind of like kids from that age uh, is because it wasn't just like, they didn't just like come up with like a new character and then plan like a 10 issue arc, right? Like they came up with a new character every issue, sometimes multiple times. It was incredible. So, um, and, and also like, if you look at uh, Jack Kirby's uh, fourth world on Omnibus, right? Like I want to say within the first hundred pages, like there were like, in my opinion, like the germs of like a lot of the ideas that Morrison used in All-Star Superman, like everything is kind of being uh, repurposed and reused. And, and so it was incredible. So I really wanted to see how much story I could fit into eight pages <laughs> was really like what I wanted to try to do. Um, 
Andres, I'm totally with you in that, like, I love Lord of the Rings and, and kind of like the old Tolkien stuff. Um, but I just like, I, I knew that if I was going to do like a fantasy, I didn't want to do kind of like a, a, your typical sort of like, here's the elf kingdom and here's the orcs kingdom or whatever. Um, I really liked the idea of the world uh, tortoises, the world turtles, right? Like these giant celestial beings that uh, kind of hold these worlds up on their backs. Um, and so I had just done that. I had just done a campaign, a, an RPG a campaign, tabletop RPG campaign with some friends um, set in the Spelljammer universe, which was like fantasy plus spaceships. Um, and I kind of combined all of that together um, into a character that I don't normally write. Uh, Braun is kind of a big, uh, big clumsy jock is kind of how I describe Braun. Um, he's, he, is, uh, he worships chaos. And so his acts of worship are literally drinking and taking risks, uh, which I think is kind of like, it, it's a, uh, you know, if you want to, you want to talk about uh, like a good sort of excuse to like get him into terrible situations, I think that's like a decent way to do it. So uh, yeah, it was really just eight pages to see how much of like all of these ideas that I'd kind of been thinking about for the last year or so, and how many of them could I like fit into eight pages and still tell something relatively coherent. So um, it was, I don't know. It was a, I don't know how coherent it was. It makes sense to me. We'll see. Um, and so, yeah, it basically Braun shows up. Uh, he gets drafted because this world is kind of dominated by prophecy, right? Like if the, he lives in a world where like, if gods are moving, you can tell what they're doing and they're moving at such a slow speed that everything is kind of dominated by prophecy. Um, Braun is because he worships chaos is the only person that can kind of like make things that were preordained to happen, not happen. Uh, so he was drafted into an adventure to thwart fate. Uh, and then the rest is kind of the, the rest is, uh, in the funny books, as they say. Very cool. So, um, you, you're in a similar, uh, situation as, as, uh, Kristen was as the, uh, the writer and the artist. Mm -hmm. Um, and you said that you were, trying to uh sort of experiment with i want to jam pack these eight pages with with story um did you do really detailed panel descriptions or uh, i wish did i did <laughs> <laughs> i wish i did i so because of my previous stuff was like really de decompressed i had gotten kind of used to not being able to write the descriptions and i could just kind of like feel out the beats on the page as i sketched them out uh, and that's what I tried to do with Braun. And uh, I think it really did not, uh, it was, it worked out in the end, but man, it made for some interesting, like five, like final three pages. Uh, I definitely would have opted for like a full script next time, I think, uh, if I want to do this kind of like big, big, super compressed type of uh, storyline. Very cool. Well, guys, I really enjoy talking, uh, making comics and all the stories that you guys have made. And I also really liked how we uh, sort of melded all of the, the different aspects of, of comic making. Um, let's, let's let folks know where they can find you uh, online. And then sort of, uh, as we finish, uh, buddy, I'm gonna let you sort of uh, tell us a more a little bit more about the comics comic book school and, and any future plans that uh, might come around. So um, AA, do you want to let folks know where they can find you online? Here's something I found uh, sure. So um, you can uh, find me um, across uh, various social media platforms uh, as at the surreal Ari. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, all at the surreal Ari. You can find me on my website, aarubin.wordpress.com. 
Um, I'm involved in a number of projects. I have something that's just going into uh, pre-order today, which is a, uh, an anthology from a prose anthology, a science fiction shared world um, from Skullgate Media, um, where there's a ship that's been transported to the other, uh, a bio, uh, it's a bioorganic ship that's been transported to the other end of the galaxy and um, it's making its way back to the, um, to the wormhole type of thing. And um, everybody had to write a story within this shared world, which is something we're really familiar with in the comics book world, but not something you get to do a lot of in the, uh, in the prose writing world. Um, so I have a story, I have a story in there that's coming out soon. Um, if you go to my um, sites or my, uh, or my social, um, that's the uh, kind of the next big thing uh, coming up. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have links to to your social media so folks can check that out. Um, let's go to to Kristen. Kristen, um, where can folks find find you online? Uh, Twitter's probably easiest. It's uh, KDS K with the letter K, letter D, letter S underscore creator. Uh, I'd give you my Instagram handle, but it would be annoying to. You could just find me on Twitter. That'd be fine. Um, and then the next thing I'm working on now is I'm doing a uh, an animated music video for a song I just finished. So that'll be up hopefully in the next month. Awesome. And is there anywhere where uh, folks can can check out any of the, the the music that you make? Yeah, the 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 project's called the Evolutionaries. The underscore uh, well the website is the dash evolutionaries.com it's on spotify and all the platforms i get streaming revenue from i have no idea where so people are listening to it somewhere so I, you can find it on all the major platforms very cool um how about uh andreas andreas where can we where can we find you online yeah same thing twitter is probably the the, the, the best place to find me i'm at Briandreu, which is B-R-I-A-N-D-R-E-U. And I've got a portfolio online at comicsbyab.blogspot.com. Awesome. Well, I'll link that stuff in, in the, the show notes as well. So uh, let's let's go to Zach. Zach, uh, where's the, the best place to find you online? Uh, best place to find me is probably Instagram. Um, it's just C Herring, Z is in zebra, and then herring like the fish. Uh, on Instagram. I'm posting my stuff there. Um, and then as far as comics go, um, abductedthecomic.com. Um, we're launching our sixth issue. Uh, I just sent off the last proof. Uh, it's all free to read. And that last, that sixth issue, I think is going to be dropping in the next uh, 14 days. So that's kind of like where you can see like the big two-year opus kind of come to a finish for me, which is really exciting. Very nice. And uh, last but not least, uh, the, the, the publisher and the, the head of the, the comic book school, uh, Buddy, where, where, where can we find you? I'd like to brag, Matthew, that I'm the easiest to find because everything is at comic book school. So we've got comicbookschool.com, Twitter at comic book school, Instagram at comic book school. And I'd also like to say that if you have any trouble finding any of these creators, there is a landing page for each of the published stories where each of the creators have their social media links and inside the anthology, for those people who download it uh, for free, um, we've cross-linked their social media there as well. Because what we wanna do is um, people who find their work compelling, give them a way to get in touch with them. So um, if you can't remember <laughs> somebody's uh, social hooks, uh, we've made it easy for you to find. And um, the, um, 
comic book school newsletter, uh, the, uh, which I, it's a monthly newsletter that I send out every three or four months. Um, we'll be coming out soon with some details for the next uh, eight page challenge uh, as part of the comic book school uh, creator connection challenge. Um, by the way, the, the genesis of the name was, um, I always run panels and they're called creator connection. It's a way that we bring people together quite literally in the room, we separate the room, say so all the writers go on the left side, all the artists go on the right side. And then one by one, I connect them. By the time we're done with the panel, everybody's friends, and then they go to the pub and hang out. Um, but, and then we've thought, okay, well, you start with panel one on a comic book. So um, that's how we came with the name is Creator Connections, panel one, next one will be Creator Connections, panel two, I don't wanna spoil anything, but that's the working title. Um, and if people should subscribe to the newsletter, um, I will provide sometimes job listings when I know things are going on. I share thoughts about uh, professionalism in the industry. We avoid politics. Uh, we avoid anything that's uh, anything other than making comics because this really is about the craft and business of making comics. Very cool. Well, um, I appreciate all of you guys coming on. And uh, I think you, buddy, you answered my, the, one of the questions I was going to ask you with, with that answer, that this is a project that's going to continue to to go forward. Um, uh, so, you know, subscribing to the newsletter, the one that's going to come out recently would give you information about uh, developments in 2021 related to this. Yeah, now that we've gotten the template and the model down, uh, we're going to replicate it. We're going to use the same reference materials. The folks who've done the first challenge will know they'll just follow along. They'll participate in the message boards. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as everyone on the call knows, if they even accidentally make eye contact with me, I assign them to do something. <laughs> so they all contributed in some way, either pulling media lists together or doing something. But I think that's the key thing is, um, we will continue on uh, and uh, find new ways to expand the anthology. Um, the first one was supposed to be just comics, then it was comics and prose. Next one, we're just going to be exploring. And this is a great way for creative people to find expression. Matthew, you're welcome to join us, uh, particularly if you feel like you got something that you can share. Uh, we would love to just cross promote and, and help your audience discover what we're doing and our audience discover what you're doing. Oh well, definitely. While you guys were while you guys were talking, I was uh, I was getting excited to to uh, to enter the ring. So that that's almost that's almost a given at this point now. Right on, man. That sounds yeah. great. Cool. All right. Well, uh, everybody, thanks uh, thanks for being on. I had a lot of a lot of fun talking uh, with everybody, and uh, it just it's a lot of fun to to hear the enthusiasm and and the teamwork that went into this. So for anybody listening, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter at Construct Compod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod. Facebook is Constructing Comics. Um, and also, uh, while we're sort of talking about making comics, if you want to check out uh, Paranormal Hitman um, from Behemoth Comics, I have a short story called Ghost at the Gate. Um, that's going to be an issue uh, two of that. That's in previews right now. And I am working on a short story that will appear in issue three called Great Caesar's Ghost, which should be in next month's previews. Uh, but I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please be safe, be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.